The only the only drugs that I took regularly were amphetamines, and that was in order to be able to write as much as I had to write to make a living. I was being paid so little per book that I had to turn out a very large number of books. I turned out to think I published 16 novels in five years at one point, and I was I, I had an extremely expensive wife, uh, extremely expensive children. I mean, she bought a Jaguar, you know, we had a five-bedroom, three-bathroom house on ten acres of land, and she would see a new car that she liked the looks of and just pull off and buy it. And under California law, I was legally bound by her debts. And uh, I just wrote like mad, and the only way I could write that much, I mean, I did 60 finished pages a day, mm -hmm. was to take amphetamines, and these were prescribed for me. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, you just cannot turn out that much copy, you know, unless you, I mean, I, I, at least I couldn't, and uh, <clears throat> I finally stopped taking them, and I don't write as much as I used to, but uh, I don't think it's changed the material. like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from San Diego, California to your brain hole. We have met our work quotas. Our leddies are on the surface ready to do battle. Are you ready to get in the dojo with us? All right. Uh, this episode of Dickheads is underway. To my left, I have... Ye shall know the truth, David, and by this thou shalt enslave. I'm Anthony Trevino. Hey, and you're the? The author of A Bunch of Garbage. No, um, I am the author of an ongoing horror comic called Fruition, several short stories, and um, the, the two podcasts. I have two podcasts now. Yeah, Sweet. well, and you also wrote a novella called King's Bay yeah, Four that yeah, I we, like. We, we, we trashed that book. Anyway, um, I also am the host of this podcast along with these two gentlemen and another podcast about obscure films called Real Obscure. All right, and I'm David Agridoff, author of Punk Rock Ghost Story, The Vegan Revolution with Zombies, and I've got another one forthcoming, but I'll tell you about that in a little bit. And who else do we have here today? I'm Langhorn J. Tweed. All right. <laughs> Energy's up. Ah. Woo. Hey, it's been a while since we recorded, so if we're a little off or whatever or... High energy, that's why. Well, it hasn't been a while since y'all have recorded, but I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the fact that I took a month off. Yeah, yeah, we uh, missed you in pay from Paycheck, which I just basically think was your fucking bullshit excuse to not watch Paycheck. <laughs> no, um, I took a month off to work on a new upcoming comic project that I'm working on with three uh, artists and two other writers. Oh, cool. Can awesome. you tell us any more about that? or Not yet. All right. But I, well, on those... Fronts. I've got final edits done on my upcoming novel, which should be out in October, which is a science fiction novel called Goddamn Killing Machines. Kind of think of it as like, oh, I don't know, The Dirty Dozen if Philip K. Dick wrote it. That's kind of what I was going for. So, and so Goddamn Killing Machines comes out in October. 
Larry, you've been hard at work on the Patreon. Can you tell us about that? And then we'll get started. Yeah, I've, I've been trying to get more more content going, different kinds of stuff. Uh, I've got show notes from this show, and I've I've got some goals that we're we're trying to get to Anthony to Colorado for the PKD Fest. So if you want a full full coverage of the PKD Film Festival, no, along. It's not the film one, though. Sorry. Yeah. Wait. Just the just, Philip K. Dick just the, <laughs> Why can't they have two very different names? <laughs> so if you want full coverage of the PKD Festival in Colorado with all my hot takes and opinions and yeah. ideas and interviews, because I'm planning on interviewing as many people for this podcast as possible. Yeah, speaking of which, I still have tons of interviews to, to do for the uh, PKD Film Festival. They're, they're there. I just need to do some slight edits and put them out. Cool, and you can get all that stuff on the Patreon, and you get uh, early bird access to some of the episodes too, so. and and interviews, yeah, not film festival related, right? And we've got a really, you know, yeah, we've got some really cool interviews coming up. Just know that we've got a bunch of good stuff going on, and the Patreon's always a good thing to support. Shall we get into the PKD news? Sure. Okay. There's not much. All right. <laughs> As there is moving right along. Oh well, Next segment. That, there is one thing. The judges have been announced for the Philip K. Dick Awards for 2019, mm. which means they're just a bunch of names, really. But I've got them and all their addresses. And so if you are an author and you want your book considered for the Philip K. Dick Award, uh, you can hit us up and I'll uh, pass on those addresses. But you can send the books directly to them. That's Do a- they know you're going to give out their personal address on the air? Well, they're uh, on the website. Okay. For so I'm just checking. They're on, well. No doxing. Yeah. It, I'm not it, doxing. It, cer- anybody. it certainly sounded like you were. <laughs> yeah. Th- this is public. This is a thing. They know that they're putting that there. As a judge, they're going to get books sent to them. So, uh, we would really like to champion, uh, I know I'm planning on championing, uh, on America by Cody Goodfellow, uh, recent guest on the podcast. A book I have yet to receive. Uh, <laughs> and I'm still mad about. I got my copy and I read it and it's gonna be my dick like Fucking joke. David has a copy. I we a- live in the same city. Yeah. Why doesn't Anthony have a copy? Well, you can come get my copy. Lord knows time. I want my copy. Alright. Lord knows <laughs> See, Larry's happy, see? Lord knows I bought mine before fucking you did. So So <laughs> like a week. So you bought yours like a week before me. But I want my copy of Un America, thank you. All right, so we'll talk more about Un-America and Dick-like suggestions, which actually is the next segment. So, hey, all right. uh, so uh, Larry, ha- w- um, what's your Dick-like suggestion this month? Let's have you go first. All right, so my Dick-like suggestion is the Netflix movie, or Net- Netflix anthology, uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I've heard about that. There's yeah. a, you know, a couple of John Scalzi stories, there's... Bunch of good writers on there mm-hmm. that they got to do these uh, animated shorts, or they they use their stories to do these animated shorts, and it has everything for it has everything. So you're not gonna like. I don't think anybody is gonna like every story, but there's a story there for everyone. Yeah, so, I've heard that they're hit or miss, but the ones that hit are really well. I think really they. Good. I I don't think they're even hit hit or miss. I just think it depends on personal taste. Which right. is kind of par for the course for any anthology movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah, see, I thought you were going to say 
this Netflix anthology, Black Mirror, like we'd never heard of it. But. <laughs> the ABCs have, of death. Have any of us recommended Black Mirror for dick-like suggestions? Yes. I feel like we have, or at least an episode. Yeah, I, we've talked about individual episodes, I yeah. think, before. But I, I, one, I, one of my dick-like suggestions was uh, whatever that black and white one was, the Metalhead. Or Metalhead. Metalhead. Yeah. yeah that was With the little baby Ed 209. Right. <laughs> but yeah. the... Uh, you know, th- this anthology is is all over the place in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Right on. Anthony, you have a dick-like suggestion this month? You do. Um, yeah, so I'm going to reach back into the recesses of my brain box and pull out uh, Ian McDonald's Desolation Road, which is a killer mm. novel about just these weird, strange stories all occurring on this uh, Mars, in the on this Mars, the city on Mars. Um, and it's been a while since I've read it, but that's honestly kind of cool because it means I can now go back and reread it and it'll be fucking awesome all over again, but y'all should, you know, y'all should check it out. There's a fucking sentient cyborg train. It's yeah. killer. Nice. David should read it. Lord knows he's had my copy for four years. <laughs> I've had your copy for <laughs> four years. Yeah, sorry. So sorry I can't get more detail about Desolation Road because it's been a while, but that book Since you've rules. actually seen it. <laughs> Since I've read it. Yeah, every once in a while I see it on the shelf and think to read it. So. I, I, I don't know why you haven't. It's real good. I know. You read 85 books a week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a year. <laughs> but I'm getting there. Yeah, that that is definitely one that I thought has looked good. So I have two dick-like suggestions this month. And one I'm not going to go... Two in the length, because we already talked about it a little bit, is Cody Goodfellow's On America. Yeah, maybe try not to spoil it for me so I can read it when I get my copy in 2020. <laughs> All right. Um, the, the thing I'm going to mention about this is that if you have not already listened to our interview with Cody Goodfellow, which is already up, I believe, by the time you hear this. Yes. Definitely go back and listen to that. Uh, we get into a lot of good details about the writing of On America. It's the book. That I waited like 15 years to read because I've been talking to Cody about the book for 15 years. And I was really, it lived up to the hype. It was great. I had planned to promote it for the uh, Philip K. Dick Awards. In fact, I'm going to personally write all the judges and tell them that I think they should read it. And my reason is I believe in it that much. So, yeah, that's my first dick-like suggestion. And the other one... Wish that had been my dick-like suggestion. <laughs> okay, we get yeah, it. You, you, you don't <laughs> you have the book. The fucking book. <laughs> but you don't have the book, so... Yeah. <laughs> You're right, I don't! <laughs> yeah, and that book is from uh, Kingshot Press and Broken River Books. Put it out together. Uh, and it, it's not out yet, though. It's right? not out yet as of this recording, but by the time you hear this episode, it will be. It will have been released... What what what, um, is, what is the actual release date? Do you remember? It's June I seventh or ninth. Ninth, I okay. believe. Yeah. So it'll be out by the time you guys uh, read this, and Anthony still won't have his copy because <laughs> 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 Abby just doesn't want you to have it now. So my other dick-like suggestion is the Nine Cloud Dream by Kim Man Jung, allegedly. Uh, this is a Korean, um, a classic of Korean literature from that was written in the 17th century. Mm. And I just recently read it. And this is a book I have wanted to read for a long time. When I was researching my Chinese vampire novel, hunting the moon tribe, this was a book that was on my list of books that I wanted to read, which I will say, if you haven't read hunting the moon tribe and you can get a copy, go for it. Yeah. It is very entertaining. Thank you, uh, Larry. Um, is it? 
Fuck <laughs> <laughs> you. Anyways. It's no King Space Void, but. <laughs> well, very, very different books, yes. Um, so. Anyway, One's a real novel. <laughs> so when I was researching Hunting the Moon Tribe, I was reading a lot of old Chinese mythology and weird fiction. And the Nine Cloud Dream is a Korean. Oh, fuck me, David. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Don't no, no, listen. Let me finish. This is a very Philip K. Dick. In fact, Philip K. Dick is name dropped in the introduction to the newest edition. The reason I did not read it at the time was there was no English translation. There is now a Penguin Classics well, English translation. Can I, can I ask you real quick about the translation? Is the, yeah. you said it was written in the 17th century? Yes. Uh, do they use some kind of old English or any technique like that? Or is it, or is it modern updated English? It's a little in between. It's not super stuffy, but the story is about, the story of Nine Cloud Dream is about a Buddhist monk, or he's like a courtier who works in like, well, no, the author was a courtier, excuse me. He worked in the court of the emperor and he was in exile. And he wrote this novel by sending snippets of it to his mother while he was in exile. And the point of the novel is it's about a Buddhist monk who gets basically kicked out of the temple. And it's basically a Korean version of Dante's Inferno. Really? However, the basic point of it is once this guy leaves the, the temple, he begins to lose his grip on reality. And he does not know what is dream and what is not. So hmm. the whole what is reality thing. And yeah. This is why it's a dick-like suggestion. Thematically, it's right there. And there's a really beautiful scene towards the end where um, the main character has this whole scene where he dreams that he's a butterfly, and he doesn't know if he's the butterfly or if he's the person. It's very cool. It's a very cool book. So that's The Nine Cloud Dream by Kim Manjung. I just read it a couple weeks ago. Nice. And it is really cool. And so that's my other dick-like suggestion. So Right on. All right. On to the penultimate truth. A book that came out in 1964. David, what was happening in 1964? Fuck, we've already talked about that. Yeah. Yes, we have. See, yes, yes, we have. This is so. where David drops the ball, and I get to pick it up. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, well, I was 19- not prepared for this. <laughs> Hold on. Let me adjust in my seat. Larry, what happened in 1964? Now. From your perspective. I'm only going to touch on a couple of the big events that we haven't talked about already. One, the huge event, probably the biggest event of that year, was Hello, Dolly! opened on Broadway, <laughs> starring Carol Channing. It went on to run for years and years. Now, the, uh, the, but the other two things are, uh, it was the year Nelson Mandela was arrested, which is an important facet of history. And if you're into the Mandela effect, apparently that didn't happen or he, he got killed then. And the other thing is PKD specific. He and his wife, Anne, got a divorce. And that was Dick's first wife, correct? No, third. Third? Second. Second. Fourth. <laughs> Who knows? Dick. <laughs> this, is, this is the funny I Actually, I, I'm pretty sure it was his third because he had the, yeah. When we run out of content. He was already to three wives at this point. Yeah. When we run well, out of content. The, the first one was really short. <laughs> when we run out of content, we'll just do a whole episode on the many wives of Dick. We actually talked about that in one of our first episodes. Well, and Tessa wants to come on the show, so um, one of his wives. So, although I'm just saying, I'm no problem if we talk about okay, Dick's but, representation but when she of comes women. On- I don't give a shit who leaves a comment on SoundCloud crying <laughs> about PC views. 
Fuck you. It's an interesting topic. Go ahead, Larry. I'm just saying when when we do uh, have a conversation with Tesla, let's, um, let's refer to her as PKD's wife and not just one of his wives. <laughs> Yeah. We could just call her by her name. Name. Yeah. You we'll know. just call her Tessa. Yeah. She seems like pretty cool. I lady. feel like just saying, okay, so PKD's wife, what was it like living with PKD? Might be a little disrespectful. Yeah. PKD's wife. No, PKD. one of PKD's wives. Wife number two. How does that make you feel? Ugh. All right. All right. Anyway. Say, uh, what? Uh, what? You went too far, Anthony. I too went far. too far? <laughs> Shut up. All right, so, um, and this is interesting because it was, this is one of the few that was written and released in the same year. So let's get into the writing and publication history of the penultimate truth. So it was, this novel was written from March to May 1964, and it was published in September. So that's pretty quick turnaround. Wow. Yeah. And most of it works. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. That it was that quick. Yeah. Uh, this was written right after the three stigmata of Palmer Aldridge. Oh, that book's so fucking good. Yeah. So, which is a uh, dickhead favorite here. So, and it was written at the same time concurrently with the zap gun. So whenever we get to the zap gun. <laughs> which is one I know nothing about. And the one he wrote after this was the unteleported man. So, ah. And that's your uh, timeline for when he was writing and doing all these things. So, the outline for the penultimate truth was written in March, and... Um, well, it was sent, right? It was sent to the... Uh, yeah, it was... Sent to them in March. Yeah, it was sent to the agency, uh, the SL, SML agency, right. SMLA, and the manuscript was received, the exact date was May 12th, 1964, so he, like, sent it out, like, pretty much right away. That's wow. crazy. Uh, the novel was first published by Belmont Books in paperback form in 1964, so this was not an ace. So this was not edited by... Um, so now is this his third or fourth book that it was an ace at this point? Mm, let's see, we had Time Out of Joint was not ace, and then Man in the High Castle, so this might be the third... I think um I'm not I'm not willing to bet a toe on that. Yeah, right. Um so uh Thomas Dish wrote uh, an afterword to the penultimate truth uh that is where we get a lot of the dates from because the afterword he talks a lot about that. And in his afterword Dish who uh I believe he's he's the author of um 30 or 334 Four, I think is that really weird book. Yeah, 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 I know the one you're talking. And he about. was a dick. He was a uh, a suggestion of Cody's in the episode. And I haven't read any dish yet. I have dish on the shelf. Just haven't gotten to reading them yet. Uh, will this year? But he said of penultimate truth. Conceptually, it represented the splicing together of two short stories Philip K. Dick had written in the earliest years of his apprenticeship. The first of these, The Defenders, appeared in January 1953 of Galaxy. It duplicates in miniature the Nicholas St. James portion of the plot. And the second source for the novel was published in August 1955, and it's titled The Mold of Yancey was intended in a slightly amended form as the original title of the book. So originally the book was going to be called The Mold of Yancey, 
now, one thing Gish is missing here, not to, to throw shade on the guy who wrote the afterword, is there's a third short story. I'm sorry, Anthony, you're looking at me like you're about to fall asleep. There's a third <laughs> short story that originally uh, was const- the uh, whole killer TV storyline came from a <laughs> short story called The Unconstructed the Unconstructed M or something like that. I, yeah. I actually read... It's in one of those short story collections, yeah. It's in volume four of the... So The Defenders is in volume one of the collected works of... Philip K. Dick and Mold of Yancey and Unconstructed M are in volume four, uh, which, and I read all Fascinating. three. Yeah, I read all three this week, so we can talk <laughs> about that later. Did you read any of the short stories, Larry? No, no, I didn't have time. Nor did I. I, I was Sorry, thinking. David. So you're going to have to lean on on me for that, you guys. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. That just means David's going to talk for 40 minutes. Straight. I was I was too no, busy no, in Las Vegas and L.A. Yeah. You, Same. Okay, awesome. You guys went on a trip. Good for you. Not together. Yeah. I actually read Penultimate Truth like a month ago, so you guys just finished it today. So you guys probably have it a lot fresher in your head. So actually, once we get to the novel, you'll probably be talking more than me. But The Defenders was written in 1952, published in 1953, before PKD signed with SMLA. He submitted the story directly to Galaxy himself, and it was originally in Galaxy, and it was the it was the first cover illustration for one of his stories in a magazine. So the Defenders is a big and important oh. story. In fact, I really think it should be, if it's not already, a um, episode of Phil K. Dick's Electric Dreams. We should get back on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get back on that. Um, but The Mold of Yancey was written in October 54. So the thing about these two stories and, and uh, The Defenders as a story is about the underground bunkers, about the tankers and the leddies and all that, but it's much stripped down, and in fact, I think in a lot of ways it tells that part of the story much better. The thing about The Defenders is it has a more optimistic ending, and basically the kind of the the, the twist of that story is that the war's all fake, everybody underground is producing the leddies and doing all that, and the Leddies are, are basically the AI have figured out on their own what they need to do to rebuild the earth is convince the people down below to stay down below. They let the earth regenerate and then they get up there and everything's all pretty and sunny and they're like, Oh yeah, you can come up now. Nice. <laughs> it's like the war's over. And, <laughs> oh, um, by the way, that is not the reaction they have in the book. <laughs> no, no, it's very different in that respect, but there are elements of the story that are, are similar. In that respect, I think they're different enough that they can kind of be seen on their own. Right. Right? And that story is really good. As a short story, it's a very effective, very, it's kind of like 25 pages, I think. It's very good. Uh, as far as Mold of Yancey goes, that is way more sci-fi than the Yancey parts of the penultimate truth. Because the Yancey, like, simulacra leader... What's basically, it takes place on Callisto, which is a moon of Jupiter, and the, and there's Ganymede, there's people from Ganymede, and they're like, what's going on with these Callisto people? They all follow this simulacra leader, basically. And so there is a dick quote about Yancey here. Obviously, Yancey is based on President Eisenhower. During his reign, we were all worrying about the man in the gray flannel suit problem. We feared that the entire country was turning into one person and a whole lot of clones, although in those days the word clone was unknown to us. 
I liked this story, The Mold of Yancey, enough to use it as the basis for my novel The Penultimate Truth, in particular the part where everything the government tells you is a lie. I still like that part. I mean, I still believe it's so Watergate, of course. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, I still believe it's so. Watergate, of <laughs> course, bore the basic idea of this story out. Yeah. So here's the thing about the story mold of Yancey is that in the story that the leader is definitely way more Eisenhower because he's like a war hero and he's a person that's kind of propped up. And he's like, oh, we just kind of use him because he's this popular war hero. And a lot of people believed that Eisenhower was given the shot to run for president just basically because, like, he's riding on his his coattails as, as a war hero, which was all the more interesting by the fact that Eisenhower ended up making that speech about beware of the military-industrial complex and all that. Because <laughs> Eisenhower, I yeah, think... Yeah, he sort of didn't fit into... Uh, but yeah. a candidate what he was winning based off of... The war The hero. war hero thing yeah. is not it's never a stretch. Worked. But, yeah. but it's never worked for no, us. No, but it's not a, the U.S. But it's not a stretch to I mean, believe that people would vote based yeah. off of that. Ulysses S. Grant was a terrible president. Great, yeah, great general. Terrible president. Right. The story of Mold of Yancey is way, way, way more science fiction with that whole like Jupiter space thing kind of going on. So well, yeah, was, explain yourself. Explain yourself. <laughs> well, what what, what do you mean more more science fiction? <laughs> well, it's more science fictionary because it takes place in space. And in the moon of Jupiter and its colonies and it's all far away. And, and I think. So just more science fiction. A, a surface level, more science fiction. Right. But and, more science fiction than AI forcing people to live underground to build more stuff? Well, I'm not saying the penultimate truth is not science fiction, but what I'm saying is this one's a little bit. The, more generic science fiction. It's more pulpy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So Mold of Yancey is a good story. I don't think it's as. As tight as The Defenders, right? I think The Defenders is a little bit more effective of a short story. But I do like Mold of Yancey. And I think he explores the ideas in such a more sophisticated way in The Penultimate Truth that it kind of took away from the short story. Now, the unconstructed M, the story, that is the one that is basically cut and paste from the original (laughs) short story into The Penultimate Truth. The whole... Right, the 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 spider bot creeping into the apartment block and, the, and turning itself into a TV to hide itself. God, right. I, I laughed so hard. Yeah, and An that evil is, TV. Yeah, yep. and that is one of the you know few part points of humor in the penultimate truth, which is less comical than a lot of PKD that we've read so far. But I do think that short story. It's funny because it does start with a guy dying of pancreatitis. I mean, it's not. Yeah. I, <laughs> What's interesting is that all the resources that you read about penultimate truth and all the different places that you like, like the scholarly looks at penultimate truth point to mold of Yancey and the defenders as being part of it. And that's partially probably because Dish talked about those two in his afterword. Right. But almost all of them forget the unconstructed M. M. And. And honestly, I have to admit that I was put onto the trail of that by Lampy's podcast, Evan Lampy, and his episode about the penultimate truth. Hmm. So I probably wouldn't have read that if Lampy hadn't caught on to that. And right. so I think props to uh, our boy Evan Lampy for... Uh, He's a smart guy. Smart dude. And I'm glad I read all three of those stories. I think that they definitely... I'm glad I read them after I read the novel. Oh, yeah. Um, so if you're... 
If you haven't read the short stories before you read Penultimate Truth, you're still doing it right. I think you should go back and read the stories later. But it is kind of cool to see, you know, where... I like that he took these stories and, you know, expanded the ideas. And this because gets into an interesting thing, because does this make... We keep saying, this is the last of the books affected by the 50s. Or this is the last <laughs> of the 50s Philip K. Dick. I don't think there is such a thing. I don't know. Yeah, because this one is definitely affected by the 50s, although I think definitely with the Defenders and Mold of Yancey, they've been updated, right. certainly, for the penultimate truth. So, now, an- another interesting thing is that this is the book that uh, there's a very famous story where PKD talks about the FBI showing up on his door yeah. Um. To, to harass him basically, and he believes that the penultimate truth is the book that caused that. <laughs> so, um, we have a quote. I really don't know. In the early '60s, I did write a novel about a phony war between the United States and Russia that's carried out with the sole purpose of keeping the citizens of those countries underground while the leaders lived in a pl- in palatial splendor above ground. In the novel, some Americans and some Russians are able to get above ground and find out what's really going on, and they become friends. Yeah. Yeah, it's the penultimate truth. <laughs> yeah. Now, maybe certain people thought this was too close to the truth and that I had some kind of information. Maybe that's why they wanted to get my files. I don't know. <laughs> I just want to believe that they're, like the FBI had a dossier on Dick, Yeah. and they were like, fuck. He's gonna know about our fucking time scoop. <laughs> <laughs> there were, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Well, I don't think that the penultimate truth is like the ultimate thing. It is interesting to, that he notes that the whole aspect of the the Russians and the Americans living in in splendor that is not a part of the Defenders. Nobody's on the surface in the Defenders, right? Um, so that is very different. It's just the Letties. Yeah, you, you know, it's uh, Guys, real quick. Real quick, how long before the FBI listens to this podcast and shows up at all our houses? Well, I've already been... That's fair. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. I've already been through all that. How long before the FBI shows up to talk to me or Larry? Yeah. yeah that ship sailed with me. <laughs> yeah. And, and in the same breath, I think it would be considered the exact same amount of time before I ship my pants the next time. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> Shit. Okay, so I did find a quote, by the way, about the mold of Yancey. So one last thing about the mold of Yancey before we move on. <clears throat> it's, uh, Dick did speak a lot about that story. So. As to the story, sophisticated computer analysts on Earth detect totalitarian leanings in Callisto government. But when Earth spies go to Callisto, they can find nothing wrong. The society is open and not repressive. The people enjoying life, reading, listening to music, watching TV, even complaining about the government. The only problem is that they're all reading, listening, and watching the same thing. <laughs> Whatever the ubiquitous John Edward Yancey gently suggests they be interested in. But, as for real opinions on real subjects like war, the Callistotes... Cal- have no opinion at all. Calistotes. Like, oh, it's Calistotes. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I have no op- <laughs> joking. Have no opinion at all. They just think they do. Earth realizes what's going on, and with the help of a disgruntled Calistote, Calistote programmer, they reprogram the Yancey simulacrum to encourage diversity in the populace. Huh, that's neat. I wonder if the, I- hmm. the people living on Io are ions. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so those are all the quotes that we have. Really- or Ionis. 
Right. Um, we don't have a ton of quotes on, on the writing of this, but there is a lot to break down as far as, like, what he has to say, because this is, to me, one of the most political books we've read so far. And I think this this one might be the one where Dick's really, really putting out... I mean, I know he did as far back as Solar Lottery, but I, I believe this one is very political because... More political than Man in the High Castle? Oh, yeah. This is definitely more political than Man in the High Castle. Man in the High Castle, the point of it is... Don't you mansplain is, Man in the High Castle. What is reality? Uh, man, yeah, the, the what is reality of history. Hi. What counts? That, what what does true. history mean? Yeah. Whereas right. this, this book is... Fair. A, yeah, this book is about class. It's about class stratification. It's about uh, fake news and propaganda. It's about... And it's about the manufacturing of consent. And unlike Noam Chomsky, it's got, like, robot armies, you know. <laughs> and, like, so at the same time, you know, I think that those things and those themes are... are so really it's like the Clone Wars. <laughs> but but better. But better. All right, I'll agree with you, David, for yeah. once. Yeah, this, this is a very political novel, and I think, you know, down to... And I know Lampy talked about this a lot. There's just even really subtle things in this book where he's just taking jabs at freaking apartment buildings like the idea that and you know i know he's done that before in the world or um no, uh the man who japed but like for some reason he's got a which i said would be the, the second runner-up to most political of the books we've read yeah probably and so it, it's just weird because he just like takes these like jabs at like apartment living and like and uh the spy state and all those stuff so it's all there and i so i think we'll have a lot to get into after the story oh, breakdown. My favorite part! Story breakdown! Oh my god, did Danny Filth just show up here? Hell yeah. Larry. Yeah. Tell us about this story. Oh jeez, this one. <laughs> I, I knew this was coming. So I didn't do any any practicing or anything, which always works out better, right? Well, right. you had the names on your screen earlier. Yeah, that's, that's the help. one. That's the one piece of research I did. <laughs> Is the names? Thanks for reminding me. I did that. All right. So Joseph Adams, huh? Huh? Starting yeah. with a name already. Yeah. He's a Yancey man. He is a Yancey and man. And we start the we start the novel with, with him trying to write a speech, and he's all nervous. And he's trying to use a machine to do it, but then he decides that he wants to write it by hand because his girlfriend is like, write it by hand. So he does. And then we move to, uh, the, uh, what are, the, what are they called? The, the tanks? The tankers. We yeah. go into the Tom Mix tank. I think they call them anthills at one point too. Yeah. yeah. Or something. Yeah. Uh, but we go into the Tom Mix tank and meet Nicholas St. James, who's the president of, Tom, of Tom Mix. And he's upset because his buddy and the best mechanic they have. Shit, yeah, he he's top dog of Tom Mix. <laughs> yeah, he's top or king shit of or shit mountain or whatever. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and we find out that his his buddy, his friend, this really great guy, is dying very soon of some kind of pancreatic I problem. Think it's pancreatitis. I, I, yeah, I can't remember specifically. I just said pancreatitis. It's pancreatitis. Okay. So he's dying of pancreatitis. He knows he's going to die. The, the, the doctor knows he's going to die. Everybody knows he's going to die. 
So then they find out that they've got this big speech thing happening, and these people are locked underground. And uh, this little little weasel dude walks in and says, "We got to go watch the speech with everyone." And so they go, and the the news comes up on the coax, and they're like, "Oh." Fucking Detroit. Detroit's blown up, and we care about that because it's not 2019. <laughs> and so then, we you know. Why Detroit blown up? <laughs> well, no, because how else am I going to get my Robocops? <laughs> right. That's important stuff. Eminem lives there. All right. You can, you can, yeah, you know what? Never mind. Nuke Detroit. Right. And so. The next morning, oh, well, you, the guy dies, whatever. And then so they go. Uh, the next morning, we we meet we we meet up with good old President Nick, and he's trying to take a shit, but his brother and his brother's <laughs> wife won't let him. And then uh, some some people knock on his door, and they're that. like, "Well, he wanted to shave, but same thing. <laughs> Come on, shit, shower, and shave, right? Right." All right, so he the the committee, this like rebellious committee, meets him and says, "Hey, guess who's going to the surface where it's nothing but war and destruction?" That's right, that's you, buddy, Mister President. Because that's where you're going to get a what, pancreas. That's where you're going to get <laughs> pancreatitis, David. No, 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 you're going to get a pancreas oh, by going you, to the you, surface. You mean an art an artiforg yep. pancreas? Yeah, artif. Artifrog. Is it art? No, it's artifrog. I'm going to open this shit right now because I'm pretty sure it's not artifrog. I'm pretty sure it's not, hey, do you have pancreatitis? No problem. We'll replace your pancreas with a fucking frog. It's a really, really bad portmanteau of artificial and organ. Because that's where you want to get an artificial organ is the middle of a war zone. Yeah, a nuclear war zone at that. It might be the only time you can get an artificial organ. And he's afraid he's going to get the bag virus or the uh, or the other. Oh my god! Yeah, the weird bag named, virus. <laughs> the other weird named diseases. <laughs> I want to believe that they just had little lunch bags that just said "bag virus." <laughs> I, I wish I could remember the other ones. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so they, he gets stuck in a hole and he gets sent to the surface. Cut to. Uh, we're going back with the uh, with Joseph Joe. Good old Joe. Adams. Joe Adams. And he's talking to his buddy as he's going to work from his mansion. His buddy's coming to work from his mansion. They're all going to work in New York, which is basically like the big... Artifork. Uh, yeah. The the big uh, ad agency, basically. It's, you know, I, I I read your thing. I think, David, you posted, the, you, you put that in the notes that it was actually the address of... I was getting the there. agency, but the uh, yeah, we'll but it that. reads more like a. Uh, to me, it was more like they they're all part of the advertising business, and that's all they do is just advertise. I kept thinking of Mad Men, yeah, that Mad part. Men, and I'm definitely casting. And so John he goes Hamm in that role. So he goes to his Mad Men meeting, and there's this this big fat Jabba guy who has all artificial organs, and he's a dick, and he really he spooks them both. Yeah. And he talks, and he gives them the, he talks about his grand plan of planting artificial, uh, uh, alien bones and, and artifacts under this guy, Runcible, under Runcible's land, get him arrested, because it's a, Really fucking convoluted plan. Well, the plan is to, the plan is to plant the, the plan is to get him arrested. 
Right. But isn't the plan all, wait, I might be confusing two things that happened, but isn't the plan to plant the fossils via the time machine, or sorry, time scoop? Yeah, the time scoop. (laughs) Which is out of paycheck. So they can then (laughs) dig it up and kind of convince everybody that's living under the surface that we at one point in time fought Martian invaders. Did I? No, I don't, I don't remember that part. Yo, no, no, he's right. I'm Isn't right, it? right? Yeah, that okay. happened. Well, I that did happened. read this fast, so. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the whole crux of it, is that they want to convince the people living underneath the surface, Which is, is that we fought, is that Native Americans fought aliens? But yeah, I, thought, I don't know, fucking know why. Exactly. This anyway, part makes no. Fucking we'll get. Sense. We'll get to it. Anyway, yeah. We'll go ahead, Larry. And we meet Dave Lantano, <laughs> Which who is, is the funniest part. Who is a? Uh, he looks kind of Mexican and kind of burnt. <laughs> he, he looks kind of Puerto Rican. Kind of Puerto. Rican. He's Native no. American. He looks. He looks as described by Philip K. Dick. He looks Mexican, and then alternately, he looks like he's been burnt by. Um, by nuclear fallout. Well, because he lives in an area that's constantly... Supposedly, yeah. Ir- bombarded. Ir- yeah, just bombarded with nuclear activity. But, but it turns he- out he's a time traveler. Yeah, <laughs> and, but nobody knows he's Native American because there's none left because they've all gone to Mars. They've all been, they've they've all all been shipped to Mars. to Mars. So the assumption is, you're a little brown. Are you dying of radiation? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because the rest of us that aren't are... Caucasian. All right. That's a real, so, that, that, that part aged real well. All right. So, but Lantano is a, an excellent writer, according to Joe Adams. And he's intimidated by him and he becomes even more wishy washy than he actually was before. And then we meet the detective whose name is Webster Foote. Around page 100, we meet this character, Webster Foote, who, guess what? He's a precog. Oh, shocking. Oh, yeah. Shocked. I'm Dragon. fucking pre- shocked. At least he's a precog detective, which is kind of cool, I, I have to say. So now we, so now we need to play the game of whenever there's a precog or a time scoop. Yeah. <laughs> so we do. So, I laughed so hard when I read the phrase time scoop. Well, see, if you've been here for uh, Paycheck, you'd know that that... I was going to read Paycheck and then watch the movie and then give my comments on it tonight. But then you had a... a but then I realized I didn't want to watch Paycheck. Yeah, no. <laughs> time Time Scoop is from Paycheck. Well, it he came it came up paycheck. to Penultimate Truth. Paycheck. I'll just read the fucking book. Right. Yeah. You All right. Although Dick, wisely. Dick. All right, we're doing a thing here, guys. We're doing a thing. That's yeah. the first time he's told us to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Go. Uh, uh. So I'm sorry. Didn't you want me to talk more? Runcible. <laughs> During the breakdown. Runcible. Had hired Webster to take uh, foot. Should we call him Foot or Webster? Webster. Uh, he he had hired Foot uh, to to protect him and make sure that nothing fishy was going going on. Of course, something fishy is going on because dude, Jabba the Hut guy. What's his name? Bros. Bro. Hey, what's up, Bros? So Bros is uh, got this plan. You know the time travel alien plan. And did I lose you guys? <laughs> no. You told us to <laughs> shut up. Well, don't shut up that much. I was checking the score of the NBA game. Oh. <laughs> the finals. Sorry. I was literally so doing nothing. And then, and then, so, boom, they, they have this meeting, and then boom, bop, boom, two guys are dead, 
And then Bros is like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't tell us to shut up and then just gloss over a really important part of the book, which is when they're going back to unearth the artifacts that they've planted with the time scoop, Hig is like, oh, we finally found it. And he goes yeah, and to, he shot goes in the back to the- yeah, he goes to turn on the, the body cam that he has and he gets fucking brained with yeah. a laser beam. No, that's actually yeah. very good. And then the TV kills the other guy. And then, and then the TV kills the other guy. The that needs to be a dickhead's t-shirt with one of us on a truck and being like, and then the TV kills the other guy. Or and some it's the fan art. Murder. Yeah. You no, know, the fucking TV did it. Meanwhile, uh, President Nick has met with some people. He ended up landing on uh, Lontano's land. So he ends Cheyenne. up meeting up with the, these other people and they explain to him what, how things work. And that uh, even though everybody thinks Runcible is this great guy, he's actually just basically a uh, slumlord <coughs> douche. And uh, then, so then they they get together. Wait, where am I at now? I don't even know where I'm you at. You flipped it. So, so St. James gets up to the surface before Hig gets his dome yeah. blasted yeah, yeah, off. Yeah. But... It's what happens is St. James gets up to the surface and these two fucking, they, they're called the, ladies. They're, the they're just, ladies. They're just robots. Hi, lady. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, Hey, what are you doing up here? You can't be up here. Why are you up here? Is there anybody else up here with you? Did anybody know you're up here? Who are you talking to? And so they basically. <laughs> should we kill him? Yeah. Should we kill him? I don't know. We got to ask the boss first. Don't no, know we should boss. just we kill him. We can't, we can't talk to the boss. Well, the boss isn't available. So let's just fucking kill him. Let's kill him. And right before they, right before they kill him, um, they both get eviscerated. And it turns out that, that, um, St. James gets rescued by someone who he perceives to be the actual Talbot Yancey. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so that's what happens. Then homeboy gets his dome blasted off. Then other homeboy gets killed by the fucking TV. TV. And then... Oh, I read this shit quick! And then the psychic detective... I read it a month ...goes in and tries to figure everything out, and he's doing a decent job of it, and uh, then, uh, you know, what's his face? (laughs) Fucking guy. Fucking guy. Then Lontano starts buddy-buddying with everyone, and he's like, oh, we gotta, we should totally figure this out, and and all this stuff, and then, (laughs) boom, they, they, uh... They do some stuff. Oh, God. <laughs> this book is way more weird, weird yeah, than people expected, than I expected from reading about it. Because you don't, this isn't up there with the books that are considered the weirdest ones. But no. it, it is super fucking weird. It's with, convoluted it's as hell. It's convoluted is what as hell it is. with the time travel and the, right. and because and if you think about it, he's got four different stories here he's yeah. trying to combine. Yeah. I mean, he does a pretty, I think, in the a end. Decent job, a, but, a decent job. Decent job. All right, so, but what ends up happening is Foot figures out that, uh, that Lontano is a time-traveling Indian, uh, who was, became a time-traveling Indian because they sent Time-traveling Native American. Yes, sorry. Native American, uh, who became time, a time-traveler because they, they sent-, sent those artificial bones and weapons and stuff back in time. And then for so, reasons, for reasons, <laughs> and then his whole plan became to stop bros and to change how things work. Because he was like, 
you you're sending all the stuff through time for like these weird reasons. Why not like stop war and yeah. stuff? <laughs> Why not do the right thing? Why not do something good with it? He's like, no, bro. so we can fool people yep it's a really good plan and then (laughs) and then by the end all right i'm just skipping to the end by the end our our two guys president nick and uh and indecisive adams uh are talking about what they should do to to heal the future and they come up with a shitty plan the end (laughs) damn larry damn uh, that was a tough one for me. That was a tough one for you. I get it. Yeah, it's a tough one for all of us to surmise. That being said, I actually like a lot of the themes and the things that are going on in the book. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it has. So let's talk. Let's get more into the themes, shall we? One of the first things that I thought was really interesting. Uh, one of the first little elements that I really liked was the. Well, first of all, the book has. More going on on the surface than the original short story. In the original short story, no humans are left up on top. It's just the Lettys, like, we kind of rebuilding, replanning, reclaiming the Earth. And so, right from the beginning, you get this kind of theme of world building. We get to see, like, a different, like, social and class structure on the yeah, surface. The world building in the book was really good, I thought. Yeah, and, and there's, there's scenes, like... Straight from the beginning, on the, on page one, there's a part, um, at the marble top desk, which had been salvaged from a bombed out house in the Russian Hill section of the former city of San Francisco, he seated himself at the rhetorizer and yeah. touched its on tap, which also. It's I, a rhetorizer. Rhetorizer. Yeah. Which is basically like, you know, building rhetoric. <laughs> yep. Well, a lot of, a lot of, a good portion of this book is about the power of rhetoric and yeah. using rhetoric to influence people and to keep and to keep them under your thumb. And so right here on page one, you've got a combination of the Moldaviancy and the Defenders, like on page one, like the concept of right off the beginning, we're doing the world building and we're setting up the rhetoric, the point of the rhetoric, which... You know, basically, you get to see in much more detail than in the short story, The Mold of Nancy. There's a lot of quotes from... from You know, David, this yeah. is not a comparison episode. No, I know. But <laughs> <laughs> you also know that we didn't read the short stories. Right, right. Okay. But I'm just talking about, for me, like, when we're talking... Hey, what's, about- what's in the book? What's in the book, David? Yeah. Eh, so- <laughs> is this a podcast just for David? <laughs> no, 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 no. The Agricast? <laughs> no, 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 no. But I just did. let me give you my opinions about page one, <laughs> <laughs> chapter one. Anyways, uh, I definitely do think that the power of rhetoric. What Anthony, what you're saying is is a huge part of the theme, and that's the whole manufacturing consent part. Well, and also, you know, uh, Joe's entire character is about the complicity of of following bad leadership, you know, and how you have to be complicit in the, in the, uh, in the bad parts in order to maintain a life in order to be a guy that has a mansion on in San Francisco, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Right. And, and I think that a huge part of this book is this social class strata. So you're definitely seeing, for example, like we talked about earlier in the story breakdown, the, the guy who's got all the organs replaced. Mm-hmm. 
Right. That guy is disgusting, by the way. That yeah. is good horror writing right there. You right. mean when bros. he's first when he's first introduced? Bros. Yeah, bros. Bros is basically artificial organ Baron Harkonnen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's kind of how I saw him in my head. Too. Yeah. Same. Yep. He it's, just didn't have a floating chair. <laughs> right. But that guy, he he it, it's just very clear example of where world building meets storytelling where you have this character who his physical makeup and everything that's that goes into how he gets his organs and everything just makes the point of the class stratification because mm-hmm. we have our character Nicholas St. James who's who he's president of, of Shit Mountain, right? Yeah. Down down below the anthills and he can't even get a pancreas, right? Yeah. Here's this guy who's just like, I'm swimming in organs, right? <laughs> more organs make me more human. Right. Or they just keep my fat ass alive. Right. And, um, but. But the fact that he's hoarding them is. <laughs> that's well, such yeah, a great he's character. A, he's a greedy weirdo. Yeah, that, that, I, I love that as a character trait is that he's hoarding all the organs. Yeah, no, it's a really, it's, 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 it's a good, I guess, in air quotes, villain. Right. Yeah. Trait. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I just really like how it, how it, you know, makes the class stratification point. But a lot of what they're doing in maintaining this class structure is the lie of the surface, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and so a huge part of the story is dedicated to, uh, maintaining that lie. Although it's done very differently, obviously, from the defenders, but the, the maintaining of that lie is a huge part of it. And I know there's, um, the quotas, and the whole way that they keep everyone working. So there's a, mm-hmm. there's a scene on page 12 of the Mariner edition. Two weeks, death by destruction of the rub blood cell making capacity of the bone marrow. One week, the bag plague and the stink of shrink, of shrink or raw claw paw. And he had already had the germ. <laughs> what the fuck is raw claw paw? <laughs> right. He already felt germaphobic already a few moments ago. He quaked from the trauma of it. And then on the same page is the first mention of Detroit. So it's not just the, it's the diseases. It's the, it's the fake destruction of the cities. It's all the different well, it's ways. It's fear, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, keep people afraid and they'll do what you tell them. Right. And so this is the manufacturing consent part of what the Yanceys are doing because you have this ad agency basically. Mm-hmm. That's in New York that is, you know, basically, you know, manufacturing all these different reasons why they, they, they're not going to go on the surface and it's just to keep control of, of the people. And so and there's other examples of that. But I, I, how did you guys feel about this part of the story? Because I think this was was a really powerful thing the, of, of the novel. You mean just the, the setting up how they live there or... How the the lie of the service is used to maintain fear. Like, I thought that was a really oh, yeah, cool yeah. aspect of the novel. I mean, it, and it encompasses also, you know, political vigor and uh, the elements that you you have these, this subgroup of people that are, I don't want to say they're evil because they're trying to do the right thing as best they can, but they're, they have to maintain power for the people that are evil. And that is sort of the dichotomy that they're stuck in. And then the, uh, 
And then, like they say in the end of the book, you know, if we just tell everyone the truth, it's just going to be madness. So we have to, you know, we we had to lie to people. Otherwise, they would have fucking killed themselves by being idiots because people are idiots. So there's it's a, a very it's a very layered thing that he 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 put forth here is that, you know, you can't you can't tell everyone the truth all the time. But maybe you shouldn't lie to everyone all the time. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, this goes back to something we talked with Sam Miller about when we interviewed um, the author of Blackfish City, Sam, Mir- uh, Sam Miller. <laughs> Sorry. Um, he talked a lot about how one of the things he likes about PKD is his um, working class yeah. notions. and. This novel definitely all the stuff with the quotas and the fact that the tankers and the anthill people are making the leddies. They don't even know, you know, that you know we got to work for the war effort. We got to work for the war effort. We got to keep making leddies. We got to keep our quotas up. Yeah, under a constant, you know, threat of of being killed. Right, <laughs> and they believe that, like, you know, and then they use Detroit, for example, like these models, these model cities, which is funny that. They're not CGI, they're models. Yeah. They, 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 you know, this was Detroit, May 19th, the year of our God, 2025. Amen. <laughs> it only took a few seconds. And once the defensive shield around the city had been broken to get in and do this for 15 years, Detroit had existed intact. Well, uh, Marshall, I don't know this guy's name. <laughs> I can't even, Herenzi. Meeting yeah. in meeting in the thoroughly protected Kremlin with the Soviet Supreme could pay a printer to paint a symbol of a direct hit. Uh, chalk up one more U.S. city for their side, you know. Right. So it's like, hey, you know, if you don't do it, you're going to have more Detroits. Also on that page, we get um, a mention of autofax. So we've got, in this book, we have autofax, precogs, and time scoops. Well, that's, I think, to me, this book read as... Sort of a, a, up to this point, PKD's greatest hits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you, you have, you, you have elements from, uh, The Man Who Japed, uh, Man in the High Castle, Dr. Futurity, um, even, even some from Vulcan's Hammer, you know, all these, all these elements, plus the, the short stories coming into it. I feel like all those elements just came together to be like his greatest hits. Right. Well, and that, you know, the man in the high castle one is an interesting one because that was another fucking wacky part to this story that yeah. seemed not to know where. The whole false history the thing. The false history the... thing with Stalin speaking English and like that they made these like, you know, well, obviously this wasn't real because Stalin's speaking English, but then there's this weird Hitler thing about we knew <laughs> where Hitler was like having meetings in Washington, like, hey, you know, the real <laughs> enemies. Are I the... kind of really liked that. Yeah. Oh, I'm not against it. I'm just saying it's. Uh, I wacky. I I really liked that there was an agency manufacturing propaganda to this level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Up until. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. You knew it was coming. <laughs> so you're gonna tell me that after how many years was it? Fifteen. They've been there fifteen yeah. years, right? Yeah, fifteen. Because later he's like. How long ago did the war end? And he's like, 13 years. He's like, fuck, I've been down there 13 years longer than I needed to be. Um, but, so, I loved 
all the stuff with the propaganda and the tapes and him saying, and uh, we didn't mention it earlier, but Colleen tells um, St. James, did you notice that that oh, hand, right. yeah, yeah. that every single time he said coup de gras differently and different. that the hand seemed to do something strange? But then later when they're watching the tapes and they're talking about how, like, you know, Stalin didn't speak English, blah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All this stuff is really cool, and it's very detailed, and I'm super into it, and I believed it, and I believed that people had been duped. But then, then they make a big fucking deal about the planting these these artificial uh, fossils of aliens, yeah. and they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. We have to send it back in time for people to truly believe <laughs> that it was there. Right. <laughs> these fucking. People living underneath the surface couldn't put two and two together and realize Stalin never spoke English. You really think they're going to be able to see something in, on TV and then say, go? It had to be. It, it had. It, it, that, that's clearly a fossil from back in time, and it broke that for me. Yeah, the time scoop is my least favorite. It part. broke well, it for me because there's no way in hell these people living underground are going to tell the difference between fossils legitimately buried in the past right. and fossils that were like, "Nah, it's cool. We dug it up and we found it. Found it today." It's right there, even though they planted it two days ago. And anyway, that, 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 I don't know where I was going with this, sir. <laughs> no, you were saying that that's, that's, you were with it. I was with it and I loved it up until they did that because it, I didn't buy it. Yeah. I didn't buy that these people wouldn't believe in the fossils. Mm -hmm. and, and then we had to do, we had to enact time, time travel, which time really travels. is just a way to say that, oh, well, that's how Lantano got all of the, the stuff to keep living yeah, to me, throughout to me, time. It, which, the whole thing was weird with the introducing the, the like, uh, unused weapons room, which is basically like Batman's utility belt. Whatever you need, it's probably in there somewhere. I don't want to get too far into it because I don't know if David's done reading things from the book yet, but I have a lot to say more about. I have more to say about that topic. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, we'll we'll get there. I mean, yeah, the random alien storyline just didn't yeah, it was weird. We'll come back to that because I do want to talk about Yancey a little bit and then here's the thing for me, the time travel element was definitely my least favorite part, but we'll get to that in the reviews, mm -hmm. but so let's talk a little bit more about um, about Yancey. I think there's some really good parts where he's giving speeches. I don't, I don't have a ton of stuff out of those scenes because I I think that. <laughs> well, I, yeah, it's more of a his character that's talked about more than talked to. So right, and then I do think that the idea that the Yance men are like like. I do really like the whole agency aspect, and I definitely did think of Mad Men a lot. <laughs> like, and like, the man who japed. Yeah, exactly. And then I like the scene where they talk, where Dick has them talking about that they had the same studios in Moscow, like implying that eh, we're just doing the same kind of thing that that they're doing. Yeah, it was interesting that whole weird scene where they were like, "Well, the people underground were like." Well, why are there hospitals if the, all the, the people fighting the war are robots? <laughs> right. Um, that was, I know the the logic there. <laughs> like, right. Well, I'm pretty sure they don't need hospitals if there's no people. <laughs> um, but if you're, but then you're, what you're coming to is that yes, you have these Yansmen and you have these guys that work for these ad agencies, but you also have these, these fiefdoms of mm -hmm. where there's like different, 
you know, they're basically playing chess on the surface. There are, they're having these kind of war games with the Lettys, mm-hmm. right? And there are some cool scenes with Letty action, like the, yeah. you know, where you see them like kind of fighting and that's stuff that's not in the original short story. Well, and they either. talk about the, uh, uh, how, you know, sometimes a couple of, of Yance men will, will have beef with each other and they'll go into little wars with each other and they, <laughs> they'll <laughs> shoot each other's Letties and, Maybe even get shot themselves a little bit. And that, and that's where the whole death rattle thing comes yeah, from. That, yeah. that kind of like signals like the authorities that you died. Right. And I, I, I think there is one scene where like a Letty like jumps and does like this crazy roll and, and, and all this stuff. And, and, you know, I, I think there's some really interesting parts with that. And I definitely like some of the world building that, that goes on there. Mm-hmm. I think he gets away from some of the points. A little bit, but then, you know, they, they have this whole scene with the, with, um, where they think that they're, they're fighting, they're finding Soviet Lettys, and then they see mm-hmm. David Lantano's ownership. Right. On it, which kind of sets up that whole thing, and then. Well, Nick, are you talking about the part where Nick first gets. To the surface. To the surface, yeah. Right, in Cheyenne. And I like that, I like all the, the kind of descriptions and the elements that are going on there. I, I, I really do like all of those elements. I don't really have as many quotes to pull out of this book as I do some of the other ones. Right. Um, you can stop celebrating, Anthony. <laughs> um, but I, I, it's not to say that there isn't good prose. I think, for example, I just, I didn't highlight as many. I, well, I highlighted the book throughout, but there's not as many where I just felt like I got to talk about this scene. Right. Uh, some things that I, like do, I said, I think my favorite was the description of bros. Yeah. When, when you know, when, yeah, that uh, was great. Joe first walks into the room and is like, Ooh, Ooh. I like the early, uh, <laughs> world feel building, but I think the thing that I like most about this book, and we can get into to kind of reviewing it now is that. I like the themes almost more than the actual story. Then how, li- how it's carried out. Yeah. Right? I'm kind of so-so on the actual carrying out of the story, but mm-hmm. as a book with a message, I like it a lot because I like a lot of what he's saying. And so that makes up for a lot. I think I originally gave this book five out of five letties. Wow. Um, but I'm probably going to take away I'm, – I'm going to blow away one of the letties. I'm going to probably give it four out of four. We're already fake, going there? I'm going to give it wow. four out of five fake organs on bros. <laughs> um, because – well, no, I'm going there right Art now. frogs? <laughs> yeah, four out of five art of frogs. Because I'm going to take one away because the story is kind of a convoluted mess. Yeah. And I think the time travel thing is just straight stupid. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's too full of elements. And, and it takes away, to me, it takes away from everything else. That There is no reason for time travel to be in this story. No. Like, you can make all the same points. What You can do the Yancey storyline. You can do the, 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 the killer TV thing. Mm-hmm. You can do... The, psychic detective. The psychic detective. You can do, like, the war. I think the most important part for me is... Is the, the class stuff. So mm-hmm. like the greatest combination there is I think the focus should have been completely on the mold of Yancey parts. The Yance, the Yance men and the tankers. That should be the story. Right. 
Yeah, how it started. I don't even think you need the killer TV. I'm fine with the killer TV, but you definitely don't need the time scoop. Fuck the time scoop. <laughs> the time scoop doesn't need it. And and the time scoop is I'm taking away that one that that's one time scoop I'm taking away. <laughs> yeah. Uh in in my final judgments. You know, and it's not to say that I'm not going to find more parts and I might not as we talk about it further, like go back and read from other parts. But I think for the most part, I'm done with the themes. I think Penultimate Truth ultimately is a really good message book. Anthony? Oh, I found, I believe this is the part Larry was talking about. Do you guys mind? No, go for it. Larry, tell me if this is not the part. Stanton bros, hold up in his castle-like festoon in Geneva, like some pointed-hat alchemist, like a corrupted, decayed, but as they say, shining and stinking, glowing pale white fish of the sea, a dead mackerel with clouded-over glaucoma-like eyes. Or did bros look like this? Only twice in his life had he, Joseph Adams, actually seen bros in the flesh. Bros was old. What was it? Eighty-two? And not lean, not a stick ribboned with the streamers of smoke-dried flesh. He's a fat bastard. Bros at 82 weighed a ton, waddled and rolled, pitched, with his mouth drizzling and his nose as well. And yet, the heart still beat, because of course it was an artiforg heart, and an artiforg spleen, and an artiforg and so on. Yeah, was that, that what you were talking yeah, about, Larry? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, no, it's fucking Yeah, that first description, solid. yeah. Sorry, I just... But also, also the one, uh, that's probably the better one, actually, than what I was thinking. I was thinking of when he first is, uh, when Joe first opens the door and sees him in, at his desk. At... Yeah, I couldn't find it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I like the... It doesn't matter. That, I mean, that passage is incredible. Yeah, and I, I think that that's one of the, one of the, really great scenes where he's talking about, and I think some of the other scenes that are really, really, really incredible in the writing is just like, there's lots of little elements of world building. I believe there's a scene where Adams is looking out over the Mississippi river. Yeah. And he's just basically like, yeah, I'm not sure this needs to be rebuilt. Right. The way it was. And like, it's a subtle thing, but it's a really cool moment of PKD. Like, um, you know, and here's the thing. This was a book that he wrote in like two months, sent the manuscript out and, you know, just he sent this to the agency and it's out a couple months later. It's, you know, it definitely could have used another pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so I think there's a degree that I'm giving it some leeway because I'm looking at this as a writer and thinking like, wow, I couldn't turn out a book that fast. You know? <laughs> no, not at all. Even if I didn't have a job and he was certainly, you know, I guess maybe going through the divorce helped. Right. Because he was maybe keep him focused on the work. I don't know. Or... Maybe he was sleeping on the floor at the shack after yeah. the cybernetic guy, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and tells him, kicks him out and the cybernetic guy's just looking at him like, dude. Right. <laughs> you know. Get in the shack and write me some penultimate truth. <laughs> but the, um, yeah, the uh, it does. It tries to do. It tries to do too much. You know, it, it's a little. I, I wouldn't even say it's. It lacks focus. It just tries to focus on too many elements at once. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I definitely think that that's that's a that's a problem uh, with with the book. But I don't think I. If you look at like the world Jones made. You know, we've definitely seen that he's better at. Melding. Oh, he's way better. <laughs> yeah, he's better at melding these plots together. 
Yeah. But it doesn't mean that they aren't like, I mean, the first time they started talking about the time scoop and the alien artifacts, I mm-hmm. was like, literally, I was reading the book at home and I just turned and looked at Carrie and I was like, this novel just took a huge what the fuck um, <laughs> turn because I was just like, right. what the hell is this? Yeah. Like, we what is introduced this? the secret room of weapons and. Yeah, and it was just like, where did this come from? And and I honestly, I just don't think the novel needed it, like the time scoop. So, mm-hmm. um, actually, you know, it, it's you know, Anthony, you acted like like we never agree, but I definitely think we agree on the time scoop. That's definitely Larry. Yeah, give us your opinion. Your uh, hot Larry review. <laughs> How many artifacts? Artifacts. Artifacts. Frogs. Hello, my baby. You don't know what I need to do with all these artificial frogs. <laughs> How many artificial right. frogs are you giving me? So I, uh, I, the, I had another problem that, uh, I don't know if you guys had this problem, but there was so much made up, uh, words. And, uh, I had like, a problem in every dick book. I just ignore <laughs> it. There's so many, many made up words and, and made up initials and, and acronyms and all this stuff that I sort of, uh, there were times where I was like, I don't even know what the fuck I'm reading right now. See, I felt it's that just way during MM and I felt that way more during Man in the High Castle. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that was more of a style thing that I understood, so okay. it was easier for me. But the uh, but that that jargon that he used was so clumsy. I, I didn't like that. Uh, but the uh, you know, and I again, we we had that same old problem of like all these main characters are basically the same person. They all sort of have that every man sort of down in the dumps put upon boringness to them, whether it be, you know, President Nick or, or Adams or even, uh, I mean, that's a continual dick character though. Yeah. Yeah. But in this time, this time we don't have just one. We have like what, two or three. Cause the, the, um, cause what's his face? Even the, What's this? the Native American guy is kind of boring in that Lanto sense. Lantano or Lantano. Yeah. And, but, uh, you know, there were like the, that section you read, Anthony, the, uh-huh. there were sections like that that sort of like blew my mind. And I liked, I liked the Cold War aspect of, you know, keeping people under control and the, uh, and keeping them in the dark so you can do what's best for them in quotes, you know. And I, th- I thought he did that stuff really well. So I'm going to have to give this one, um, and because I, I read it really fast, so I'm not sure I got everything in it. I'm going to have to give it three and a half art of frogs. <laughs> <laughs> three and a half. Yeah. yeah. The half is because I'm not sure what I missed. <laughs> you definitely read it fast. Yeah. Because you were on like page 14 yesterday. Yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, little behind the scenes there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, well, and it's something because I think, I think when you look at, and we were talking earlier about the title and how the title, like, I didn't really yeah. think about what the title meant till I was, like, on my bike right well, here. Well, because it turned out not to be as clever of a title as we were hoping it would be. Right. And it's just... But I do like that it's kind of left open-ended, like, hey, you know, um, we exposed all these lies that are going on, and, and things are going to change now. But there's always a bigger lie to come. There's I mean, that's yeah. basically how the book ends, is, you know, what's the next lie? Oh, my God. So sorry. I don't know what happened. 
That was a beautiful song. <laughs> well, that's embarrassing. <laughs> Anthony, right. what you got? This book has so much of why I love Dick. Mm. It's the kind of downtrodden blue collar laborer character trying to figure out his shit and comes to find that there's just nothing but lies behind the smokescreen in the world that they've been living in. I love the propaganda aspect of it. I think that that the first 115 pages of this book are incredible. Really? I love it. I love all the I love all the propaganda stuff. I love the mystery of them watching the tapes and trying to figure out what's really going on. I like it. I like it to, I like that it parallels the the behind the scenes with the Yansmen who are essentially just design like they're admin and I mean they're they're all just kind of like filmmakers. Yeah, it's a great parallel. Yeah. And yeah. And they're, they're it's like they they have all these different sets and things and props right. and ways to in to like convince the people that are living underneath the surface that you know you have to stay down here while we all live in our mansions. <laughs> and that's great out of date science fiction because like they're not computer generating these things. They're... Yeah, no, they're building everything from scratch. Yeah. And and I I I just I really want to see like all of the Yancey speeches and in that like this is why I come to Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. Right? And but not cosmic puppets. Boy, that book. <laughs> <laughs> but then we get to the fucking time scoop and it undoes everything I loved about this book so far. And we get into this whole like, oh, I've been living because I've got all these artificial limbs that have been sent through time and blah, 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 blah. And yeah. I don't fucking care. So I really wanted a book that was all about this idea of a war still going on and being manufactured for the people living underground, and then all of a sudden I got this weird bullshit time travel story. Right. And that, that, oh, that bothered me a lot. So I'm gonna have to give it three and a half out of five snow jobs. Nice. <laughs> which is a, th- a term I didn't know about until reading this book. <laughs> because I just think that Dick was on a really good course, and then we took a hard left turn into unknown territory, and it mm-hmm. just kind of got dumb. It got dumb in the way that I, I almost was like, time travel, Native Americans, huh? What a weird epilogue to Dr. Futurity this <laughs> exactly. must be. Exactly. Yeah. And well, I just... Lampy mentioned Dr. Futurity in his podcast, too. That, that there and I, I, I love the the themes the and... Native I, American resistance. And, and ideas of labor and, like I said, so the concept of a government putting out this type of propaganda to convince mass society of a completely different thing in a completely different world that they don't actually live in is one of my favorite science fiction concepts of all time. I fucking love it. I love it. I love it so much, I wrote a fucking book with that as the whole backdrop. (laughs) Right. Right? Right? Yeah. You both have read it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had to give it credit for that, and I really enjoyed it. But then it fucked me in the mouth with time travel, and <laughs> I hated it. So three and a half out of five snow jobs. Yeah. See the uh, what carried me through the last those last seventy five pages or so uh, was the detective story. I, I liked the psychic detective. So our precog detective foot Webster foot. Yeah, I, th- I could. I think you could have left that one out too. But 
I mean, I can live with it because that actually was interesting. No, I like that. That's what I'm saying. I well, like yeah, that. Part. I liked it more than, I mean, the time scoop. The, the time, time scoop still, yeah. Time scoop just has to go. And if we're, I, I guess, should we get into talking about how, what we would do sure. as a film? Sure. sure. I mean, I think I it's think pretty obvious what the first thing I'm, the first thing I'm fucking jettisoning from this <laughs> adaptation. <laughs> Just jettisoning it right out the fucking airlock. <laughs> is the time scoop. Is the time scoop. The time scoop's going. Yeah. I agree. And, um, so if, if we were, <laughs> we all agree that if we were working on a script of this, the time scoop goes. Yeah. The time and, scoop goes. Yeah. And for me, as much as I like that detective stuff, I'm not going there either. I'm, I'm focusing on the Yancey and the underground and, and the Yancemen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. And I think the first, 20 minutes to half an hour of the movie, you're staying completely underground and you're gonna, you're gonna be following, uh, Nick St. James and, and the life underneath there. And then you're, you're probably gonna do some kind of reveal. And you don't want to do it too late because you definitely want to live with the Yance men and you want to see that aspect of it. But I think you should definitely have some time where you're feeling like, this world is real. The oppression. This, yeah. In the novel, the claustrophobia. it's claustrophobia. In the novel, it's fine not to do that, right? To, cause Dick doesn't hide the Yansman yeah. aspect of it. No, it's like chapter one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you know, it's fake, but I think in a film where you have a chance to, like, what I think you want to do in the film is in the beginning, you want to have the viewer, if they don't know the plot already, if they're just turning, they, they're Netflixing and chilling, right? And they turn on the penultimate truth, right? They want to believe in the underworld too. They want to believe that there's a war up top, at least for 20 minutes, half an hour. Yeah. I, you can't carry it on too long you these days car- though. No, because you, you know, it, it turns out to be very tropey nowadays because well, everyone, right. everyone knows Logan's run. Everyone knows, you know, that, that storyline. I know, but what you want to do then is that... City of Ember. I think you have to have some element of where where the Yans men have fooled the viewer of the movie as well. well right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what, what you're saying? going for. And then, then you pull it back, and then, like, there's special effects that you're into, there's world building you're into, and then the camera pulls back, and there's the Yans men, where there's a certain degree that the viewer is watching the movie going... Oh shit. Like I got taken for that. Right. And it's not that the twist on that is where you're not doing the tropey thing is the tropey thing is that, you know, you'd be following St. James, Nick's whatever St. James guy. Mm. You'd be following him to the revolution, right? Fuck that. that. Yeah. <laughs> you're not you, doing you know this. how I feel about these revolutions yeah, right. in my movies. <laughs> right. Well, I'm not saying you do that. I'm saying you want people to think that's what you're coming to. Yeah. But what you're seeing ultimately. Then you subvert that. You're subverting it is because eventually you're going to kind of switch over to having the Yansman point of view. And you're going to see, I would say, you know, from their point of view, you're going to get people that are very pro the idea of we got to fool the people. Mm-hmm. So. Who do we? So we've written. Now we've written but, the script. Right? I, I, I think well, you have to. You well, have, you would have to, David, you would have to blend in the stuff that's happening on the surface, but like they did in the, uh, in that first, uh, scene where they, they see Detroit being destroyed and you, do you that would have the, to have a lot of those elements in there. Right. But you do that around the 20, 25 minute mark. Oh no, I'm saying the whole time. 
that you you have to continually remind people that everything is terrible so that when you do introduce the answer oh i see what you're saying then it it, it has more impact that way i think i'm going to take a, a slight different turn okay. from that just because what i wouldn't mine's a pure pure uh precog detective story so what what i wouldn't mind seeing is living with the people underground and kind of going for about 30, 45 minutes. And, and this might be just, cause I was thinking about this as I was reading the book. I'm like, how would I do this? Would we jump between like chapters the way the, the book does? Or would mm-hmm. I, I think the way that I would do it for me that I would like to see done in, in this is that I would do maybe 40, 30 to 45 minutes just underground and just them going through all of that and getting to the surface, setting up the kind of the idea in the background that, hey, what's going on? Why does why does the president say coup de gras di- different ways every set up time? That and kind of set up that mystery and then keep going and keep going until Nick gets to the surface. And then as he's kind of taking in the surface, I would hard cut to something, something else that's, that takes place at the time at the same time that we started the movie mm-hmm. and then go from there up until that point where Adams and James meet, meet. Oh, and then okay. we can be in a present storyline together. Do you yeah, see what so, I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, that's not yeah. too different from what I would Yeah, say, that, that's but, kind of what I said. Yeah. And that, that's what I would like to see because, and I realize like some people would be like, what the fuck? We're in a completely different movie. But I want that juxtaposition with these yeah. two storylines because I want to believe the lie and then I want to find out that it's a lie. Yeah. You want to see how At, it's constructed. And, and, and and then meet at a particular point with both storylines in the present. Yeah. And then in in the secondary storyline of what's going on up top, I would want to spend more time in on like these these sets in the making of all the Yancey videos mm-hmm. and yeah. and everything, so I can kind of really get that feel for it being a lie. I mean, guys, this book is a conspiracy theorist wet dream. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I know, right? <laughs> and so that's that's how I would like to see this book handled. And and that's part of the reason why like I this gave is, it so much leeway because before there's the a moon landing. lot I mean, of cool potential. Right. Yeah, no, I, I I think that there's lots of really good stuff going on and I think that <laughs> I don't think your approach is that different from what I'm talking about. I think you uh-huh. you gave more time underground maybe than I would have, but like Well, I'm I'm imagining that this movie's gonna be at least two hours. Yeah. Right. If people can sit yeah. through almost three hours of the same fight scene from fourteen fucking different movies <laughs> in game, people can sit through this. Right. Well, John um, Wick three. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You're not wrong. <laughs> but they're so well done. They are, but he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. As far as how we're gonna adapt, how we would adapt the story, I think. Now, what you're talking about, Larry, I think, is you're talking basically the unconstructed M as a episode of Electric Dreams. Yeah, basically. Yeah, because I think. Uh, completely separately, I'm not sure I would do Mold of Yancey. I thought you could, but I think the Defenders would make a great episode mm-hmm. of uh, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, and if it's not already. Um, I don't think it is. but And I don't think that... I think they're separate enough that that you could still do Penultimate Truth as a, as a movie, and then you yeah. still have yeah. those as episodes. But I think the Unconstructed M... And the whole psychic storyline. I mean, that, but but to me, that's the the hard part about doing it the way you guys are saying to do it is that it it just seems like it would be so easy to slip into cheesiness. 
because because of the amount of movies and and books where you get that whole oppressive atmosphere and then it turns out it's all a lie you know it's been around for so long now yeah it's all people are expecting yeah 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 it's how you do it again people went and saw a movie that's almost three hours long and it's the same fight scene from (laughs) every other movie i've fucking seen um I'm on an in-game warpath lately, guys. Sorry. I actually, I like that movie. I couldn't. I don't have any, uh, I don't have any need to see it again, but God, I thought it was a fitting end. I liked Endgame. Yeah. Didn't care You're for the minority. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, I'll be the minority report. <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wouldn't go to the mat for that movie, but I, yeah, I right. enjoyed it enough, but. Uh, uh, like I said, it was, it was worth seeing once. I don't have any use for it now, so. Um, directors. <laughs> yeah. Let's go around the table. David. Yeah, hold on, I gotta open my... Alright, I'll do mine. Hi, it's Anthony here. <laughs> so my 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 first choice for a director... Oh, he's got his notebook out. Yeah, I do. Was actually Bong Joon-ho, Ooh. who directed Snowpiercer. Good choice. Oh, nice. Um, because this kind of reminded me of that same aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But then I did some more thinking. And if I remove the bullshit, you know... Time scoop? Time scoop garbage... And it's we, gone. and, and we, it's we gone. jettison it, but we still have this kind of strange, you know, manufactured utopia. Then I thought, you know, who else might do a pretty good job is Neil Blomkamp. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. those are my two choices. Yeah. Because I like Elysium. Everyone can fight me. <laughs> well, Elysium. I don't have a problem. I like everything that. but Jodie Foster's performance. Yeah, she is weird in that. Yeah, that that Which whole second half is not fleshed actor, out. It's just it's a script problem. It's yeah. I feel like it's not a her problem. Anyway, this is not the Blomp cast. David, um, yeah, she's so good in uh, Panic Room, and she <coughs> yeah the last moment to do that because Nicole Kidman was pregnant, I think, or something. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that's besides the point. My director, <laughs> um, I didn't go big. I went with a director who I would like to give more work to. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, he's basically gone to TV and directed a bunch of TV, but he's a de- director named Jeff Renfro from, he's a Canadian director. He directed the dude from Six Feet Under, what's his name, the, like in Parenthood, in the, in a little, uh, indie kind of Hitchcocky thriller called Civic Duty. But the one that's gonna, give you more reference for what he could do here is he did a movie called the colony in 2014, which is that with Lawrence Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne. Oh yeah. I know that movie, Bill Paxton. And it's like, and a lot of it takes place underground. So he's already kind of mined this territory, but I think the colony is a really underrated sci-fi horror end of the world movie and a great last kind of, performance or later performance from bill paxton but jeff renfro i think he's underrated for he did a really good job with both civic duty and the colony of uh building suspense and having like really good moments of taunt action right and uh i just like to see him work and film more because recently he's just been doing tv 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 lots of shows film gotta pay the bills Filmed in Vancouver, but I'd like to see him back in film. So I would um, try to hook him in because to me it's less about uh, a directorial style. Although I do like where you were going with the two directors you picked, I, I'm just more worried about the script. Yeah, in this one. I think yeah, it requires a lot of it, uh, adapting in this one. Yeah, 
Because what we would won't, don't want to do is we don't want to fall into the Philip K. Dick action trope. No, and this one doesn't really fit it either. No. So. And so I think this one you could actually do with a relatively low budget considering what you have to do. I mean, you're going to have to build some pretty intense sets for the underground stuff. But mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons why I picked Renfro because The Colony is a very low budget movie, but it doesn't, it does a lot with the low budget that it has. Yeah. For, for building, but so if, that's another good way. If you, people haven't seen The Colony, I definitely recommend it. It's not, it's, it's not, not great. It's not great, but it's good. And it has, I liked it a lot. It was one of my favorite movies of that year. Yeah, it's fun. 2014. And it does, I mean, it does go zombies at one point, but. I don't see why it would be hard to do the script. We just did it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we're just saying. The no, devil's in the details on we, no, we could I, get. I'm saying Electric just... Sheep Productions should be calling us <laughs> to do the script. I'm not saying they should. But, Call us to rewrite the well, mine's, script. Mine's paycheck. easy. I, I'm going with Alfonso Coran. Okay. I because can see that. that, you know, if you base it off the children of men stuff and things like that, it's, yeah, it really yeah. has the, the capacity to work well. And that, of course, would be a big budget at this point after gravity and all that. All right. Yeah. I don't see, well, yeah, because I mean, I guess we're doing a wish list here. So, right. <laughs> um, all right, so that's the penultimate truth. Let's put a penultimate pin in it. Um, <laughs> a penultimate pin in it. Not it's right. not the ultimate pin. I'll allow it. It's the almost. <laughs> it's the almost ultimate. Almost pin. putting a pin in it. <laughs> so, Anthony, what? Whoa! Are we- did you almost forget my name. <laughs> no. God damn it! It's been a while. What are we doing next month, bookwise? The 21st century. It was a shifting, shadowy, and extraordinary world. And very dangerous. Most people, as in the present, were content to survive and grab what little pleasure they could. But there were others who cunningly played the deadly game of world mastery. There was the incredible beauty who had ruled the White House for nearly a century. The world's last practicing psychiatrist. A psychokinetic pianist. Pianist. The time traveler. The Simulacra and the Chuppers. We're reading The Simulacra. Awesome. Thanks. Working on some guests. It does sound like a, a good uh, a good book from the, you know, how much you can buy the back cover. <laughs> well, it, it's not the uh, Mariner edition, so maybe it's not fucking lying to me. <laughs> yeah, the Promised edition. a radioactive hitman. Radioactive hitman. Five pages. I'm s- <laughs> still mad about Solar Lottery. Still mad. I think it, I think it was three pages actually. <laughs> um, so if there's no psychokinetic pianist for right? at least Penis. Jesus for at least a chapter, I'll yeah. be real mad. And the Chuppers better be cool. They better be like the Black Skulls and Mandy. <laughs> oh, I still need to see that. Oh yeah, we should uh, over my vacation. We should watch Mandy. Yeah. Anyways, back to the cage cast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Next right. week, Snake Eyes. Don't forget to look us up on social medias. Uh, yeah. We'll have all the links and everything. And the Patreons. Support the Patreon. Uh, and look out for some bonus episodes and things coming our, coming your way. Uh, we're going to cut back a little bit on some of the story uh, versus film episodes, but they'll they're still not, be... They're not gone. They're not gone. We're just going to slow down on those and 
We're going to do some more bonus episodes about other science fiction from the era. All right. All right. Pack it in, David. We're about to, uh, we're about to head off to a new frontier on a different colony. Yeah. Keep it sun, sun. Wait, what is it? Keep it paranoid. Un, yeah. Uncrazy. Keep what? I don't know. Good night. Keep it paranoid. Stay paranoid. <laughs>